12, verse 5. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Everybody say he built an altar. In Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible said, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, thou, thou that uh, wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comforts me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Everybody say wells of salvation. Not one, but many wells of salvation. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. As we begin to transition from 2013 to 2014, I want to preach to you today this following message, and I want to title it this way. When an altar becomes a well. When an altar becomes a well. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I know this has been, at least from my point of view, as I said a moment ago, kind of a warm environment here presence of the Lord moving gently and sweet, sweetly here today, but my insides aren't feeling that. I feel like there's a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm going to ask everybody to lend me your ear. Uh, I will not be very repetitive, and I'm not going to have a lot of time to preach all of this material that I've come to share with you this morning. If you don't get it the first time through, I'm going to ask you to go back to our website when it's posted and listen to it again. And we will be revisiting this subject as the new year comes in in 2014 as the Lord tarries. I want to say today by way of introduction that it is time and it's even past time for us as a church to become more productive. Everybody say productive. We must engage. I know there's a lot of you that do. But I'm sure there's a lot of us, more of us that could. And uh, even those that do, there's probably more of it you can't, you could do. But that is one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Beginning at the first of the year, Lord willing, throughout the month of January, we're going to be preaching and encouraging you to uh, find people that are unchurched, backsliders, people that need God. We'll put a lot of focus on backsliders. I could preach a little while this morning to tell you that the rapture of the church is imminent and we need to find backsliders and bring them back to the house of God. And everybody said amen. But it's time for us to engage in one-on-one -on -one evangelism, each one reach one. We need to engage in home Bible studies. There's a lot of you that can, but you won't because you're scared. There's a lot of you that can, but you won't because you think you don't have time. But I've learned a long time ago, the more time, the more of my time I give to the kingdom, the more time I have to do what I want to do. 
Amen. The more selfish you are with your time when it comes to the kingdom, the more frustrated and stressed out and busy you're going to become. Amen. Time is kind of like tithing your money. You can do better with God's blessing on 90% than you can do on 100% without God's blessing. Well, if God can multiply your finances and bless your finances through tithing, He can do the same with your time. Anybody that's too busy to do God's work is just simply too busy. Well, I appreciate the resounding support from this corner of the building. <clears throat> Amen. Besides that, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. But we want to begin and start in encouraging people to teach home Bible studies. We want to uh, re-engage our care groups. Had those going for a couple of years. And we're looking for people who can uh, take on these things and uh, help multiply and be productive. God began to move on Abraham's heart and promised him that if he would leave his homeland that was given to idol worship, that he would give him a new land and make him a great nation. The great attribute that Abraham possessed at this point was that he was a worshiper. Everybody say a worshiper. He was not faithful first. He was a worshiper first. But the more you worship, the more faithful you should become. Amen. And later on, he would become the father of the faithful. So Abraham began to enter the land that the Lord was going to give him. And uh, the first place he came to was a place called Shechem. Let me give you a brief history of Shechem. It's not as nearly as boring as it sounds. The word Shechem means a shoulder. And Shechem is a city in Samaria. Here Abraham pitched his tent and built his first altar in the promised land. And there he received his first divine promise from God. It is also in Shechem that Jacob bought a parcel of a field at the hands of the children of Hamor. After his return from Laban's house, when he settled his household, he purged his family from idolatry. He buries a teraphim or a small idol that his family had worshipped under an oak tree. Here too, after a while, Jacob dug a well. Everybody say a well. Which bears his name to this day. In existence today, there is a well in uh, Israel that is still called Jacob's Well. It is at Shechem that Joshua gathered all Israel before God, the Bible says, and delivered to them his second parting address. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, the Bible said, and all of you know this, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, said Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which were your fathers, which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This statement was made in Shechem. And in memory of this solemn message that Joshua presented that day, a great stone was set up under an oak. Some commentators believe it's the same oak tree under which Abraham built his first altar, and it's called the Oak of Moray. This became, this memorial, this stone became a silent witness to all who would choose this path. Shechem later on became one of the cities of refuge, the central city of refuge in western Palestine. And it is here where the bones of Joseph were buried. 
Shechem is also mentioned in connection with Jesus' conversation with the woman at Jacob's well in Samaria in John chapter 4. I'll talk more about that later. And so remaining as it does to this present day, it is one of the, Shechem is one of the oldest cities in the world. Why? Because it was built on an altar. And that altar, spiritually speaking, was later on transformed into Jacob's well. So may I present to you today that the altar that Abram built in Shechem under an oak tree was later on, spiritually speaking, transformed by God into a water well, a well that would give water. It is now the modern city. Shechem is now the modern city of Nablus, a contraction for Neapolis, a name given to it by Vespasian around 70 A.D. And Shechem is about 34 miles north of Jerusalem. The site of Shechem is said to be of unrivaled beauty. One commentator says it's the most beautiful, perhaps the only very beautiful spot in central Palestine. So God began to move on the heart of Abraham and promised him that if he would leave his homeland given to idol worship, that he would give to him a new land and make him a great nation. So Abraham began to enter the land that the Lord was going to give him. And again, he first comes to Shechem. It was at Shechem that God confirmed his promise to Abraham. And it was there that Abraham built an altar. Let me explain to you about altars. Altars are a place of repentance and commitment. Altars are a place of repentance and commitment. Listen to pastor very carefully. Somehow modern religion has turned the altars of our churches into places of blessing. You have been taught and trained through the years and even perhaps somewhat by this pastor that if you want to be blessed of God, come to the altar. If you want to be healed, come to the altar. If you want God to help provide for you, come to the altar. That's not what the altar was intended to be. It was never intended to be a place where you could just come and have your earthly needs met. But the original intent of an altar was for it to be a place where you could come and repent of your sin, repent of your lifestyle, repent of things that's happened in the past, and make a 180 degree turnaround and give your heart to God and commit your heart to God. This is the original intent of an altar. It's a place of repentance. It is also a place of commitment. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that anyone was ever blessed at an altar until something was first sacrificed to God on that altar. I want to appeal to every person in this room. Remind, let me remind you that we don't need to develop and acquire a Laodicean attitude which simply says, I don't have any need of anything. But on the other hand, I believe every person that attends Grace Church consistently needs to find a place in this altar somewhere and say, God, one more time, I repent of my sin. I want you to cleanse me. I want you to purify me. I want you to make me into your image. And upon that transaction, we commit our lives to the will and purpose and plan and mind of God. We're tailor-made by the Holy Ghost in the altar. It's a place of repentance, and it's a place of sacrifice. Everybody clap your hands. An altar is a place of death and sacrifice. An altar is a place of death and sacrifice. But notice, on the other hand, a well, a well of water is the exact opposite. Where an altar takes a life, a well gives life. Where an altar takes a life, a well gives life. After Abraham built this altar, 
his place of repentance and commitment. He went on from there to obtain his promise. Somewhere between where you are now and the promise of God that he's made in your life, somewhere between those two places, thank you, is going to be an altar of repentance and commitment. But if you repent and if you commit your life to God, somewhere along that line, that altar is going to be transformed into a well. I'm going to preach to some old stalwart Pentecostals. We have committed ourselves to the teeth. And we stop right there. God is speaking to this church, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but he's speaking to this church today that we've committed. Now it's time to become productive. And if God will transform your altar of commitment into a well of production, God only knows what could happen in this church in the next days and weeks and months. After Abraham built this altar, his place of repentance and commitment, he went on to obtain his promise. It's interesting to me to note that Shechem is not mentioned in the life of Abraham's son, Isaac. Shechem is absent in the life of Isaac. I'll show you why in a few moments. But it's interesting to me that where Shechem was bypassed by Isaac, Shechem is mentioned in the life of Isaac's son, Jacob. For in Genesis 33, we're told that Jacob also came to Shechem, and there he built his own altar. He built another altar. Jacob didn't use Abraham's altar. I would have been more inclined to want to use Grandpa's altar. But Jacob said, no, I don't want to use his altar. I need to erect my own altar. And so he built his altar. I wish I had time to expound on it. I just don't have time. The practice of building altars was passed down from one generation to the next. Our children, hear me today, Grace Church, need to be taught many things. But the most important thing that a child can be taught is how to build an altar. Our children need to know how to first and foremost repent. We must give to them the greatest gift that God has given to mankind. And that is the gift of repentance, and then they need to be taught how to commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to God. Altars need to be passed down. We don't need to just leave it up to our kids to find out on their own. But parents need to take a hold of what goes on in your home and say, son, set the iPad down for a moment and come pray with dad in the living room. Turn off the television for a little while and let's have a family devotion. We need to build altars, not only here in this church, but we need to build them in our home. We need to build them in our family so that when we pass on, our children will continue the march forward into the kingdom kingdom of God. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Doesn't stop there. Joseph, the son of Jacob, asked that even though he was second in command of all of Egypt, and really and truly, the blossoming, the productive part of his life was lived out in the land of Egypt. Egypt told his kids, when I die, Get me out of here. I've got to be buried in Shechem. The Bible said in Joshua 24, Joseph had been dead now for a lot of years. The Bible said in Joshua 24 that the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem. 
and a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Do you understand with me today? Don't sit and look at me with that stalwart, traditional Pentecostal faith. Sometimes it gets old and tiring when you're trying to preach a, a message to move us forward. Do you understand what happened? That parcel of land became an inheritance to the children of Joseph. He took, they were given what Abraham built. They were given what Isaac built. They were given what Jacob built. They were given what Joseph built. They passed it down. And I see today in the Pentecostal movement, there's been a breach somewhere in the home or the pulpit that our kids are getting what I was given. But I'm determined, I'm determined with everything in me. If I ever leave them anything, I want my sermons to burn in their ears. I want my prayers prayers to burn in their ears. I want to leave them my altar. The greatest inheritance. The greatest inheritance you can leave your kids is your altar. Why would anyone want to inherit a dirty, bloody altar that's saturated with a stench of death? Because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph knew that God is divinely attracted to altars. Do you ever want to meet up with God somewhere? For all of you folks that whine once in a while that God don't love you. For those of you that complain that I haven't felt God in a long time. You know why? It's because you haven't been in an altar. If you find an altar, you're not going to find God clinging to the back door of the building. The altar is only the starting place. I thought about it in prayer this morning that if you pray at the brazen altar in the tabernacle of Moses, that it'll take you to a brazen labor where you're cleansed. It'll take you to the showbread, which is the word of God. It'll take you to the seven golden candlesticks, which is a church. It'll take you to an altar of incense, which is worship. But the idea is to usher you in to the presence of God. God, don't leave the holy of holies and go to the brazen altar. You leave the brazen altar and go to him. If you want God anew and fresh in your life, it begins at an altar because God loves altars. There's something about an altar that God will not stay away from. He's not impressed with our buildings and our sanctuaries made of the finest materials of the size of our congregation. He's just looking for someone to begin to heap one stone upon another, one part of your life, and then another part of your life, and then your marriage, and then your kids, and then your job, and then your home, and then your automobile, and then your bank account, and it goes on and on, and you keep building that altar until you've built a personal altar. I promise you today, I've witnessed it, I've experienced it. God will break forth in your life and do things you've never dreamed possible. Why? Because God is attracted to an altar. Well, I thought I'd do a little bit better than this. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good myself. I know what y'all are saying. We're just listening. Well, talk to your wife and just don't make any response at all or let her talk to you. Don't make any response. Don't say nothing. Boy, I've gotten my fair share of that. And then just say, I'm listening. Well, say something back then. Acknowledge that you're listening. That's what I hear on occasion. Praise God. You know, men, most men have unique abilities. I can listen without my mouth flapping. Anyway, that's another subject for another time. After Joseph's life, Shechem, Shechem, everybody say Shechem. After Joseph's life, Shechem continues to be mentioned throughout the Old Testament and even into the New. Now, I want to take you to the New Testament where the scripture mentions Shechem. This takes place hundreds of years later after all but a few had forgotten about Abraham's 
A lot of people have forgotten Abraham's offer to God. God didn't forget it. This is mind-boggling to me. Brother Donald, get your head around on this. In John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. The disciples didn't understand it. Neither did anyone else around him when he started heading towards Samaria. You probably don't understand it when you've read it. You probably didn't understand it, but hopefully after today you will. Jesus was letting them know, I have an appointment in Shechem that has been hundreds of years in the making. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, That's the Greek word for Shechem. He comes to a city which is called Shechem, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Boy, people standing around. Man, I ain't heard that story in a long time. Man, Jacob, Joseph's inheritance and Man, I haven't heard of that story in a long, long time. But listen to Pastor today. Over a course of hundreds of years, God had been doing something in Shechem that nobody ever saw. Anybody ever witness it? God had been transforming the altar. Abraham into the well of Shechem. Boy, that does something to me. The Bible said in John chapter 4 and verse 13, to the woman at the well, at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered and said unto her, the Samaritan woman, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If you want a well, if you want to be productive, it first begins with the construction of an altar. Hallelujah, God. I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Here's basically what I've come to preach to you today. I've said a little while ago, and I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but we have preached commitment for years and years, and Pentecostals have notoriously committed to a lifestyle of holiness, but we've never really committed to a lifestyle of productivity. And the first commandment before holiness was go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to understand today, we've built our altars through the years. My God, there's people sitting here today that you have altars, you have altars, you have them in your home, you have them in church, you have them in your car, you have them on your job, you have them everywhere you go. But somewhere along the line, that altar has never transitioned or has been transformed into a well of productivity. Thank you, Abraham, for re-erecting an altar. Thank you, Abraham, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your repentance. Thank you for your commitment. Now I'm going to show you what I can do with repentance and commitment. I'm going to turn that altar. I'm going to turn that altar of commitment into a well of water that's going to be productive, that's going to feed everyone that comes. In the tabernacle, the two most important pieces of furniture was the brazen altar and the Ark of Covenant. Listen, the altar represented sacrifice and death. The Ark of God represented the power and presence of God. Watch this. 
God always planned for the altar to be bigger than the ark. As a matter of fact, when they got ready to move, the ark went inside the altar. It would fit inside the brazen altar. God's plan was that the altar was to be bigger than the ark. In our modern day religion, in our modern day church culture, folks, I've been preaching, I've been preaching hard for the past few Sundays. I preached to you about the Pentecostals of Laodicea. Preached to you about storms. Preached to you last Sunday about the miracle of the journey. I'm trying to bring us back to our altar. Through all of your conflict and stuff, and I'm going to come to that at the end. But through all of the, the stuff that goes on all day long in our lives, God still is drawing us back to an altar. Why? Because he wants this church to become productive. So watch this. In our modern day church culture, we've tried to build bigger arcs. We want the church to be big. We want the crowd to be big. We want the sermon to be big and the song big and the music program big and the Sunday school department big. And we all want that. But that's not God's way of working it. I mentioned a moment ago the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I dare say all of us even want God bigger in our lives. But you don't get a bigger God by building a bigger ark. You get a bigger God by building a bigger altar. Everything we do, everything we do, home Bible studies, care groups, youth ministry, Sunday school, right down the line, everything we do, if it don't fit in our altar, if it don't fit within the parameters of our commitment, it's nothing more than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I'm encouraging somebody today, if you want God bigger in your life, then build a bigger altar. Add some more stones to it. Build the surface a little bigger and make room for a little more sacrifice. People have said, I've heard them say it, I don't have any more to sacrifice. Let me say it very crudely today, you're full of baloney. The minute you feel like like you can't give and you can't sacrifice. You've become a Laodicean. And it's time for us to get back to our altar and say, God, if we want more of you, then we've got to get more of us on our altar. So let me say again, I introduced this message with this graphic on the screen. Worship is a response to revelation. Revelation is what happens to you at your altar. Wherever the level of your of revelation of God stops, that will be the limit of your worship. The reason we can't worship God anymore is because our altar's gotten The reason we can't win people to God is because our altar's not big enough. Because God makes productive people out of altar builders. It just blows my mind that this little old city called Shechem that nobody's even heard of, nameless because it only has a population of 10,000, but it's still there. It's still there. From the time of Abraham, it's still there. Why? Because somebody built an altar and dug a well. And it's still there. And there was a Samaritan woman that met Jesus face to face. And she come under an oak tree, sitting on the side of a well. When Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. Don't you understand? This is what God is wanting to do in every one of us. I'm all about commitment services. I'm all about giving your heart to God. But that altar's got to keep growing, man. It's got to keep expanding. It's got to get bigger because your entire relationship with God is going to have to fit in it. Watch this, Ezekiel 47 and verse 1. I'll just read it. I don't think you have the scripture. But afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house 
And behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about uh, the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went far forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through and the waters were to my loins. Afterward he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over for the waters were risen. Waters to swim in. A river that could not be crossed over and it all began at an altar. Does anyone understand that an altar serves more purpose in our life than just repenting and just committing but it's at an altar and the bigger it gets the more productive you get the bigger it gets the more effective you are the bigger it gets the more impact you have the depth of your repentance and commitment determines the height and breadth of your revival Now, let me show you why Isaac was left out of Shechem. Why was he left out of that altar building process? Isaac was the chosen son of Abraham. Everybody say chosen. God said, for my chosen one. I'm going to use Isaac to illustrate even a greater revelation and understanding. So notice, bear with me on a little more history. We have no indication from Scripture that Noah used his altar after his initial offering of sacrifice when he came off the ark. The Bible doesn't mention if he ever built another altar to maintain communion with God. There's a lot of Pentecostals that have done that. God brought them out of sin, they built an altar, and that's where it stopped. There's people here today that's done that. You come in, you're saved, you feel the Holy Ghost, you're going to heaven, and you just stop right there. With Abraham, as I've mentioned, it was different. He had no altar that we know of in Ur of the Chaldees. But after the call of God and after coming to the land to which God had called him, his first altar is built. His, this first altar was after he had passed through the land and God appeared to him the second time. He could not have communion with God in Ur or even in Haran, but having come to the place where God called him. After arriving at the place where God had called him to come to, he could build his altar. It's another sermon that I don't have time to preach on. You know why you struggle? You're not doing what God told you to do. If you'll move to where he wants you, okay. Now Isaac, watch this. How blessed the obedience of Abraham. The obedience of Abraham. I talked to you about that last Sunday. Faith is a great thing, but obedience carries a greater blessing. Everybody say amen. Are y'all with me today? It just feels like I'm up here just going to town and to an empty building almost. For he rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. He didn't delay, not for one single day. And it was early in the morning when he rose up to carry out the will of God. Nor did he see the length of the journey. It did not deter him, even though he did not even see the place of his altar until the third day of travel. Abraham's confidence in God shines as brightly as his obedience to God. For he said to the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Abraham never considered his altar as sacrifice. His altar to him was worship, even when it came to giving his own son. He was confident that the lad would return with him. Even if he could not understand all that was before him, 
The writer of Hebrews gives it to us this way. For God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Is what Abraham believed would happen. He would sacrifice Isaac and God would raise him up. So now you can see why altars were not required of Isaac. When you are the sacrifice, God's not going to require you to do it. You know why Isaac was exempted from altar building? And you know why Jesus was the only one worthy of sacrifice that had sin? They were the chosen of God and perfect in their lifestyle. They were perfect sacrifice. The rest of us Abrahams have to keep building altars because we stray out of Bethel every once in a while and head down to Egypt to pick up a little handmaiden and baggage that follows us for the rest of our life and for the rest of the history of the world. Anybody got on board? I've got a thousand sermons here to preach, and I'm just trying to, and I'm just trying to give you a little bit of it here. <clears throat> so when you are the sacrifice, an altar's not required. But watch this. Isaac could have bowed up. <laughs> my grand, my father had to build an altar. And my son is going to have to build an altar, but not me. That ain't what he did. He went to Shechem, and he built an altar anyway. He didn't have to, but he did. You know why? Because Isaac was taught by his father, if you ever want to hear from God, you're going to have to build an altar. I don't care how big the sacrifice you make. You know why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? It didn't matter how great the sacrifice he was. It didn't matter how great the sacrifice he was giving. He understood, if I want to hear from God, I've got to find myself an altar somewhere. And I've got to get on it. And I've got to make that altar as big as I possibly can. So Isaac built his altar. But this is what's interesting to me about Isaac. And I never understood it to this past week. I never understood it. But now I do. Watch this, Brother Taylor. So Isaac, the sacrifice. Instead of building altars all over the place, he dug wells. Real interesting to me. My daddy was an altar builder, but I'm going to be a well digger. God blessed this church with some well diggers. But watch this. Brother Donald, I'll speak to you personally again for a second. In Genesis 26 and verse 19, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. So Esek means quarrel. So since quarreling isn't productive, Isaac just gave up, went home, and quit. No, he didn't. In Genesis 26, 21. And they digged another well. Come on, dig again. And strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. Sitna means strife. So strife isn't productive either. Isaac didn't quit. He didn't give up. He said, let's go. In Genesis 26 and verse 22, he removed from thence and he dug another well. Let's look up here for a minute. And for that well, they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us. There are those here today that have built altars and have sacrificed. You've dug wells and they've only produced conflict and strife. There's people sitting in this building right now if you've heard this message and I've done my best to present it as it is. There's people here today that conflict and quarreling just seems to be a way of life. It's on the job. It's in the home. 
that's in the car, that's on the playground, that's everywhere you go. I'm trying my best to live my life for Jesus. And there's just conflict and quarreling and trouble and trials all around. You know what the answer to that is? You don't give up. And you don't give in. You don't start staying home on Wednesday night because you can't go to church. You don't lay out a prayer meeting because you got money to do. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You do like David did and you encourage yourself in the Lord. And you determine, I'm going to dig and I'm going to have a church. There's a lady here, once in a while I pick on her and she never asks for it and probably appreciates it if I don't. But today it's coming to you. Sister Yvonne is what I consider to be, if you will accept this in the way I'm saying it, she's kind of a behind-the-scenes person. You don't ever see Sister Yvonne. She teaches Sunday school on Sunday morning. She does a Wednesday night class with the younger group of kids on Wednesday night. You only see her in the sanctuary. You want to see Sister Yvonne, usually you see her running the altar. She gave her life to God. She built an altar. And she put everything she had in it. Everything she had she put in it. Her kids, her grandkids. Y'all are in Grandma's altar today. Some of Brother Holy Ghost recently came back about the kids. She made her altar so big. Well, you talk about a heartbreaker. I have this incredible Sunday school teacher, a lady that's committed to this church. We love her. She loves us most of the time. She came several years ago and said, Pastor, I just feel a burden. I need to go work in Africa. So she went to Africa six nine months later. Oh, no. Africa's here. We need you here. But she did. her life, and we've known Sister Yvonne now for almost 40 years. She's built a lot of altars while she was here. We've seen and known of her to give when she didn't have anything. Sacrifice. Sister Yvonne clued in to something. She built her altars, and she's still building altars, but she started digging wells. And in that well-digging process, boy, she's hit on with a lot of conflict and quarreling with brothers. There's, there's a big mess all around Yvonne all the time. But she never quits. She's always up in that classroom reading. I tell her all the time, if you get burnt out, tell me, you know, we'll do something, man. Don't burn yourself out. And on top of all this, she's getting old. And I could have left all that out if she had been here. Well, we go back a long way and say we're still digging wells. She's still digging wells. Out of tumultuous times in her life and things that she's experienced in her family, marriage. Had a beautiful man, Brother Bob, I'll never forget him. Converted, gave his heart to God. He died of a heart attack suddenly. Preached his funeral. Sister Yvonne's had her share of conflict. Struggling. You know what she does? She don't quit. Says, okay. Well, I'll just move over here a little ways. Bob is buried right there. I'm just going to move right over here a little ways. And I'm going to dig me another well. And you know, there's a lot of tumult in the lives of my kids and things that are going on. So instead of quitting... And giving up, I'm just going to come over here and I'm just going to start digging another well. Because if I can get them to the water, if I can get them to the water, if I can get them to the water, they won't have to thirst. They won't have to have need of anything. If I can build for them a place where they can come to God. If I can build a place where a Samaritan can come to God. If I can dig a well, Jacob had no idea 
one of the founding fathers of the nation of Israel dug a well. And God never did anything with that well until some 3,000 years later and introduced himself to a Samaritan woman. Rehoboth means broad places. Broad places is something that God can work with. Your well becomes as big as your altar. You big a build altar, you have to big a big well. On and on it goes. If you'll stand with me this morning, God is calling Grace Church. Grace Church is not an elusive term. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your family. He's asking some of you to build another altar while he's asking others to dig another well. But if you build that altar, it may take him a little time, but he'll transition that altar into a productive well. God is saying to us today, Grace Church, if you'll build me one more altar, I'll turn it into a well. Your kids may never come to it. Your lineage may never experience your well. But I can, I can find a Samaritan woman who's been married and divorced four times and is currently shacked up with a man. I'll introduce myself to her at your will. Thus saith the Lord, I track your steps. I know where you are. I know what you go through. I promised you that I would never leave you and that I would never forsake you. And I never have. I am still with you. I feel your hand in mine. I honor you for your commitment. I'm thankful that you have committed your life, your time, your talent, and your future to my kingdom. Now has come the time when I would multiply you, when I would make your life more productive in my kingdom than it ever has been. I want to take what you've given to me through the years and multiply it and cause it to grow. I thank you for building your altars in my honor and sacrificing to my cause. Now I am ready to multiply you, to use what you have done, to use the labor of your hand, to use your footsteps, to use your prayers and your fastings, and turn your altar into a place where people can come to have their spiritual thirst quenched and give to them eternal life. Stay with me. Trust in me. Keep your hand in my hand because I will turn your repentance and your commitment into evangelism. I will give to you those souls who are thirsty and needy, and hungry. Follow me, and you will see my plan and my will come to pass, says the Lord. So this is why Jesus must needs go through 
Samaria. After his discourse with a Samaritan woman at the well, at Jacob's well, literally Abraham and Jacob's well that was once an altar, he explains to his disciples why he must needs go through Samaria. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, the Bible said, Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already for harvest. I believe God is going to open this last well at Grace Church before the rapture. Our Rehoboth, so that we can be productive and begin to harvest those around us that need Jesus. God promised in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, it shall come to pass afterwards, saith the Lord, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. If you folks, every person, family here today, I believe today, I'm saying it in the Holy Ghost, if you'll come build one more altar, dig one more well, God will transform it into something productive like you've not experienced. Gary and Ashley, I want you all on board with this. Aaron, I want you on board. You built your altar and you sacrificed. Brittany, you all on board? It's time to start digging a well. It's time to start digging a well. Brother Vic, God's got this man. God's got it. Brother James and Sister Sarah, God knows where you are. He just said so. He knows what you're going through with your family. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just start digging another well. Build that altar just a little bit bigger. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. God's ministering in this house right now. Brother Donald, you built a lot of altars, man. It's time to start digging the well. It's time to start digging the well. Your fruitful days are not over. God wants to be productive in you like he never has before. Everybody come gather up around the front of this building. I want the Holy Ghost to speak to somebody today. I hope the Holy Ghost speaks to you today. It's time to dig another well. Bible said to be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. Somebody get your head around it. It's time to dig a well. It's time to start rejoicing in the harvest. It's time to lift up your eyes. And see what God has ahead of you. And what God wants to do for you. Praise the Lord. Come on, folks. Come on, church. Come on, Grace Church. As a family. As an individual. Dig a well. Dig it one more time. Billy and Michelle, dig a well. Go ahead and dig it again. Dig another well. Dig another well. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Somebody can be filled up with the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody can be blessed right now while you're building an altar. Put some sacrifice on it. Put some prayer on it. Put some praise on it. Put some worship on it.
Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 